from 1 Samuel, the third chapter, through the first verse of the fourth chapter. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel, Samuel's word 
came to all Israel. I'm grateful. So let's talk about uh, when God speaks. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we are um, we're going to be working our way through uh, through, through this book. Um, one of the things that is challenging for us as we do this is we're talking about a different time, a different age, a different place. We're talking about the life of First Samuel at this point. We're going to move into uh, some other characters, but but we're very early and and things already. If you if you haven't sensed it, if you don't understand, they're, they're different. Um, for instance, in this passage, Samuel is hearing the audible voice of God. Now, some of you may have heard the audible voice of God. I have not. Um, and it's probably not a terribly common thing in our day. And there's a reason for that. There's, there's a reason that Samuel is hearing the voice of God, and you and I, day to day, don't normally often hear the voice of God. Um, and that's because in Samuel's day, the word of the Lord came by way of visions, came by way of God revealing himself to the prophets primarily, but to his people, because they didn't yet have the word of God the way that you and I do. And so as we've moved through time and God has revealed himself to both his prophets and then to us, he has done so, and he he did so in, in our day and age, if you will, in the person of Christ. So that's why when you read 1 John, you read, the Word became flesh, okay? And He dwelt among us. He lived with us. And He spoke. And and, uh, the uh, disciples, the apostles, those who were chosen by God, wrote those words down for us and gave us an account. And, And then as we work our way through the epistles, We have the Apostle Paul, and we have Peter, and we have John recording for us, carried along by the Spirit, as 2 Peter tells us, carried along by the Spirit, they recorded for us the Word of the Lord. And so you and I have what we call the canon of Scripture. We have the Word of God given to us. Marion read for us 2 Timothy chapter 3 earlier, and there we read, right, that the Word of God is, is spoken. This is God-breathed, and it's useful for us. And, of course, Paul at that point is thinking to himself of, of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament Scriptures, the older Bible, his Bible. And he's understanding how that, those words were breathed out by God and are useful for us. And, of course, we know when, and, and when Jesus was living and, and he met the the men on the road to Emmaus, he took the Old Testament scriptures and he preached essentially a sermon to them about himself from the Old Testament. And so that's, uh, that's where we're at today. And, and so we're listening to the story and we're, we're seeing how it is that God is communicating to Samuel and... Um, and perhaps there's a, a disconnect for you. And so what we want to try to do is we want to try to understand the story, what's taking place, and then we want to try to bridge that gap to where we are today. And so we'll be doing both parts of that as we talk about 
when God speaks. Now, here's the other thing. As we work our way through 1 Samuel, it's not always going to break down into nice, clean, easy parts. So we'll be taking the passage that we have, and we'll try to, try to chop it into some nice parts to communicate, hopefully, what the text is saying. So this morning, we're going to talk about when God speaks. And here are the three points. It's gracious. That's the first point. When God speaks, it's gracious. The second point is when God speaks, it's appropriate. And the third point is when God speaks, it's targeted. So let's work our way through. The first point is when God speaks, it's gracious. Now, here's why. If, you, if you'll look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, you'll notice these words. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. That sets the stage for us. So a couple of weeks ago, Marion looked at the second half of chapter 2. And what we learned there was that Eli and his sons, um, that the Eli's sons primarily were, they were wicked. They, they didn't love the Lord. If you, if you just turn over one page, you'll see on verse, verse 12 of chapter 12, of chapter 2, Eli's sons were wicked men and they had no regard for the Lord. So what had happened was that here were these men that were ministering in the house of the Lord and they didn't love the Lord. And they were far from Him. Their hearts were not captivated by God. And, and the illustration that's given is the way that they went about taking and receiving sacrifices of the people of the Lord. And, um, and they were wicked. They, they, they had no regard for the people and for their hearts and for their relationships with the Lord. And they had no regard themselves for the Lord. And it showed in the way they went about ministering in the house. And so we get to chapter 3, verse 1, and we find out that as a result of all of that, the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord coming to the prophets by way of visions was rare. God was not showing himself to the people the way that he had in the past, and it, it It meant that they were essentially walking, not in complete darkness, but in nearing darkness. If you look down, (coughs) sorry, if you look down just a few verses, you'll see another indication in verse 2. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And then verse 3. The lamp of God had yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple. Now, those two phrases are both descriptions of actual events. Eli was old, and his eyes were going. And at the time that Samuel was lying down, the, the, uh, the, the candle, the, the light was, was burning low, and it had not yet gone out. Both of those are just accurate descriptions of the scene that was taking place, but they're also accurate pictures of what was going on. 
It was a dark time. Things were bad. People were not following the Lord. They were not looking to Him. And so we get these two kind of pictures of, of Eli's eyesight going bad. He, he couldn't see and the people couldn't see. And the light of the Lord was drawing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so you, you kind of begin to get the feel, right? It's a dark time in Israel's history. Things are low. And that sets the stage for what happens next. Because essentially what you're getting is you're, you have this picture of things are just bad. And in the middle of that, God calls Samuel. He begins to speak to Samuel. That's the stage that has kind of been set for us, right? And, and what do we call that? What do we call it when things are dark and things are bleak and things look bad and yet God comes and He meets us right in the midst of all of that? What do we call that? We call it grace, right? And that's what it is. It's grace. When God speaks, listen, At any point, in any time in human history that God has spoken, it is gracious. Because He's speaking to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so here in the passage, God is speaking to them at a very dark time in their history, a very dark period in the life of Israel. And yet, He comes And he speaks to Samuel. And and what this is, it's an indication that he is moving, right? I mean, think of all of the things that are bound up in the fact that at this very moment, God decides, Samuel is my man, and I'm going to reveal myself to him. Just wrap your mind back around and think about the period in which when Jesus comes into the world. The Word made flesh. He came and He tabernacled among us. He lived among us. And He began to preach and He began to teach and He began to do miracles and He began to heal people. And and what did the people say? As they listened to Jesus teach them, they said this, We have never heard anyone teach like this man. And what they, were, what they were hearing was the very Word of God. They were hearing the Word of God incarnate. And it moved them and it changed them and it gave them ears and it gave them hope and it, and it, 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 it was a catalyst for everything that would happen. Just rewind it a, a thousand years and in a very dark point in Israel's life, God began to speak. And we call that grace. Because it wasn't deserved. There was no deserving God coming and moving in their midst, and yet He decided to do just that. In Geneva, if you go there, there is a, uh, there's, there, there are not many statues to the Reformation. 
Um, if you've if you've gone to Europe and you've traveled, if you've tried to look for them, you won't find them because they're just not there. There are not that many. But there is one in Geneva, and it's a relief um, of four figures: um, Calvin, Zwingli, Knox, maybe I don't know. Anybody know Knox? Somebody else? Um, there's four. I, I know Calvin's one of them, and I know Zwingli's one of them, and, and I think. I think maybe Knox, but anyways. But there's four four people in the relief. But the Latin phrase under the relief is post tenebras lux, which was the Reformation statement, after darkness, light. And that's what you have here. You have a period of darkness when essentially God had gone dark. And, and that's, that's what we read when we read that the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. And yet God spoke. And he began to proclaim his word again. And here's what that means. It means God's grace is coming to his people. And when God's word is with his people, his people flourish. When God's Word is a part of your midst, when God's Word is in your midst, when when God's Word is preached, when God's Word is read, when God's Word is understood, when all of those things are happening, God's grace is at work, God's people flourish. So, when we read in 1 Samuel 3 that the Word of the Lord was rare, and when we read that, that God had not given many visions, Essentially, the people were dying on the vine. If they don't have the word of the Lord, how can they flourish? Because the word is the light of life, right? It is that thing which would give them hope and would give them courage and would give them strength and would give them the ability to persevere in the midst of everything going on. And so if God's not speaking, if his word's not there, what what does that mean for them? It means they're in bad shape. And listen, for us today, we can say much the same thing. Where God's word is rare, his people don't flourish. But where it's preached, where it's read, where it's cultivated, where it's held close and near and dear and talked about and sang about and preached about, God's people flourish. Listen, that's why we preach it. That's why we teach it in our Sunday schools. That's why we have classes about it. That's why we talk about the doctrines contained in it. That's why, that's why every Sunday when Marion and I get up here and preach, we don't tell you endless stream of stories. Maybe we need to tell more stories. I don't know, but... We don't tell you an endless stream of funny stories about our lives and about what we did and and about our cats and dogs and every other thing under the sun. Because, frankly, that's not life-giving. This word is life-giving. So when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, for training in righteousness. That's life-giving. 
And that's why we read it. And that's why we teach it. And that's why we, that's why we love it, frankly. Because it causes us to flourish and to grow, to hear and to know who He is and what He's done and what He has for us. That is life-giving. Cute stories about my dog are not life-giving. You may walk out with a chuckle, but those are not the things that bring and breathe life into us. God's Word does. And that's why here we're unashamedly biblical. We want to preach it and teach it. We, we, we want to proclaim it. We are about the Word of the Lord. Because honestly, that is the thing that causes God's people to flourish. But there, but there are problems. There are two problems. One, you and me, that's the first problem. We don't always have ears to hear. Right? So problems can occur on either end of the spectrum, right? It can occur in the proclamation, and it can occur in the hearing. If you're a parent, you know this, <laughs> All right, if you're married, you know this, okay? If you're in a relationship with any person on the planet, you know this. Because something happens when you say the word, and that word goes out on this end, and we all have it. And that is, even though we have the word, we don't always hear the word. And so we have to cultivate that in our hearts. And how do we do that? How do you cultivate hearing the Word? You hear the Word. You hear more of the Word. You put yourself under the Word. I'll never forget years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm in college, and I was just starting to, to, to hear about this thing called Reformed Theology. And I got my hands on a set of tapes from... This tells you how long ago, right? It was cassette tapes. And I'm trying to think of the conference. It was a conference up. It was the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. And the subject was the atonement. And I had never, I don't, had no, I didn't, I don't even know that I'd ever heard the word atonement. But I remember taking those tapes and listening to them over and over and over and over and the reason I had to listen to them over and over and over and over was because I didn't know what they were talking about. I had never heard the word propitiation. I had never heard the word sanctification and justification. And, and so all of that was new and fresh. But I knew these men were teaching Scripture. It was J.I. Packer. may have even had voice in there. And I listened through those. But I had to listen. I had to do it multiple times. Why? Because I couldn't hear. I didn't have ears to hear. I didn't have, a, I didn't have a vocabulary. I didn't have the comprehension. And so I had to intake more and more. Listen, you and I have to be diligent to prepare our hearts to, to hear the Word. We have to be under the Word. You have to read the Word in order to be able to hear it. And so there's a problem. Sometimes the problem's in proclamation. We don't proclaim it. But we have it. 
And so we're in a little bit different, we're in a different phase, right? Because you and I have access to the Word of God. And so the proclamation part, not so much a problem, because you have the Word. But there is a problem, and it sometimes occurs on the hearing side. And you and I need to cultivate that hearing because we don't always hear correctly. So there's a story um, in World War II. It was at the end. So uh, there had already victory had already been declared in Europe, and and um, and there was the Potsdam Conference, and at which the Allies had called on Japan to surrender. And um, and so after that conference, the, the media in Japan was hounding the prime minister to, to, you know, kind of break loose some sort of a statement from him. And he was avoiding them at all costs. And, and finally, they, somebody got a hold of him and they asked him, what, what, what does the prime minister of Japan have to say about the call for Japan to surrender? And he gave him one word. My Japanese is not very good, but it was something like makatsua. Something? Anybody Japanese? Um, But he gave him one word. And the word essentially meant no comment. But the way it was translated and the way that the allies ended up hearing the translation was, it's not worth my comment. And the allies, right, after the kamikaze part of the war that was going on, to hear the prime minister say, your call is not worthy of my comment, as opposed to no comment, are two different things. And so sometimes what we hear, what happens in translation, right, and on our end, isn't always what God intends for us. And so we have to be careful with that. But here's the second part, right? So God speaks to us, and it's always gracious when he does. And here's the second part of that graciousness is that when God speaks, it is always appropriate. It's always appropriate. This is verses 2 through 10. And if you look at the passage, what you'll see is that here is God. He comes and he's speaking to Samuel. And what we find, though, is... Samuel doesn't get it. Samuel's not hearing, okay? And so we already kind of have that first picture of the fact that God can speak to us and we don't always have ears to hear. And Samuel doesn't yet have ears to hear. Some of you would love to have God speak to you. You've got a question. Why? And you would love for there to be an answer, a direct answer. I wonder sometimes if God gave us a direct answer to the question, would we hear it? Because there are lots of indications that God speaks and we just can't hear. God is speaking to Samuel. He's calling him. The Lord called Samuel, verse 4. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. And Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. And he called again, Samuel. And he got up and went to Eli. And he said, Here I am. My son Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. And then verse 7 is the key. 
Verse 7 is the key. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Right? So as you're looking at the passage and you think to yourself, Samuel, why didn't, why didn't Samuel get it? Here is the Lord calling to him in the middle of the night. Why didn't he hear? And the reason that he didn't hear is because the, the Lord had not yet revealed himself to Samuel. He hadn't called him to himself yet. This was his calling. This was that point in time in Samuel's life where the Lord called to him and awoke in him and he finally is able to hear the Lord. And so Eli understands the situation. He finally realizes, oh, the Lord is calling Samuel. And so he tells Samuel, Samuel, when the Lord calls, you respond. And you respond to the presence and to the word of the Lord. And here's what I mean when I say it's appropriate. God doesn't crush Samuel because he didn't respond the right way. He has to call to him three times before he gets the response. He doesn't blow him out. He doesn't, he doesn't get louder. He doesn't, you know, wake up, you buffoon. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he calls to Samuel again. And there's something, there's something we see, and, and, and it comes out in the Second Timothy passage, right? In the Second Timothy passage, we have a whole list of uses for the word of the Lord. It, you know, God's word is, is corrective. It, sometimes it rebukes us. Sometimes it offers training to us. Sometimes it gives to us the righteousness God demands of us. Sometimes it's the gospel we need to hear. Whatever it is, at the right time, we hear it. It's always appropriate. You know, the, the other version of that is that His Word, opened and preached and taught and read, will never return void. Well, how can that be? And, and the way that that can be is that God's Word is always appropriate for where we're at. And, and the other part of that is it means that even when you and I have a lack of understanding, He doesn't crush us. He doesn't come and, and just wipe us out and, you know, He's not impatient with us. When God speaks, it's appropriate for where we're at. And so that means if you're young in your faith, as you're hearing the Word of the Lord, as you're hearing God's Word preached, it's appropriate for where you're at. Take it for where you're at. If you're older and more mature, listen, every time I go back to the Word, there's a new gem. There's a new... I mean, I... I have a new encouragement. Mark Futado is going to come and he's going to teach the book of Jonah this next week. I really always like to know, has anybody heard the radio spot? Oh, come on. Two of you? All right. So in the radio spot, I tried to tease this out and I asked the question. I said, what? I know you're asking the question. What can I possibly learn from the book of Jonah? It's a child's book, for crying out loud. It's a book about a guy who gets swallowed by a fish and vomited up on the shore. How can that possibly be anything good for me? 
And then I read Mark Futada's um, commentary notes on the book of Jonah, and I read his, uh, some stuff that he's, uh, some journal articles that he's written on it, and I realized, ho, 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 it's much bigger. And Mark says that every time he goes to the book of Jonah, he comes away with something new. It's four chapters. When God speaks, it's appropriate. And God is always interested in your growth when you come to the Word. And so He's patient. Listen, commit yourself to hearing the Word. Pray for it. Put yourself under it. Find ways to hear it. And if you've got a question about somebody you've listened to, or please run it past me and Marianne. We will gladly help you ferret out the good guys from the bad guys. Honestly, put yourself under good preaching and teaching. And read. Read the Word. Here's the third and final point. It's targeted. It's targeted. Notice that the message, so the Lord calls to Samuel. Samuel finally gets it and he responds. And when he responds, he goes to the Lord. And the Lord gives a message to Samuel. And what's the message? First, this is his first sermon. His first sermon is, Eli, God is going to do to your house what he said. He's going to crush you. That is the first message Samuel is going to deliver. I don't know about you. So I was just telling the group, the elder that shepherded Jody and I, we're a year into marriage. We're leaving the Methodist church. We're starting to go to a Presbyterian church. And an elder there and his wife started loving on us, having us into their home and opening the Word and giving me tapes and reading books with us and sharing with us. And Milton and Lane came yesterday to to the memorial service for Jody's dad. It would be like the Lord giving a message to me in 1993 to tell Milton, I'm done with you. <laughs> that would be the equivalent. Think about it. Samuel has grown up and ministered in the house of the Lord under Eli's tutelage for his whole life to this point. He's known nothing but Eli day in and day out. And the first message that he is going to deliver is this. The Lord stood there and the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Hey, you bet. Because what he's going to do is he's going to carry out everything that he had said he would do against Eli and his family from beginning to end. Verse 13, I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. I don't know about you. I don't want to preach that message. 
Verse 15. I want you to look at it. What did Eli do? I mean, sorry. What did Samuel do? He went and he went to bed (laughs) until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and what? He was afraid to tell Eli. So here's the first part. And it goes along with the second part, right? And that is God's word is always targeted. It will hit you at just the right point where you need it. It divides our hearts exactly as it needs to. And you know this if you've been in the Word. You know that at just the right time when you're in the Word and this situation is happening, does it not always seem to be exactly what you need to hear? I know it is because you all send me notes and you tell me, I was reading the Word just today and this is what it said. And you're reflection upon the situation in your life. And so it was targeted exactly. He told Samuel exactly what to deliver. That's the first part. That's, that's that part. Here's the second part. The second part of all of that is the messenger. Samuel is the messenger. And you know you know that you you know that the messenger is the person you want to continue to to be taught by and to and to have labor in your life when it's hard for them first to deliver hard news to you. When somebody when somebody is eager to tell you that you're not doing it right, it's usually an indication Something may be askew. Not always. Because it is not easy to deliver bad news. At the same time, when you need to be afflicted a little bit, when you need to be challenged a little bit, they are willing to come and deliver the news to you that's targeted in a way that will challenge you. Both of those are true. You don't, want, you don't want somebody in your life, you don't want that person in your life to just crush you every time you make a wrong move and to seem to delight in bringing the word to bear. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had that person? <laughs> but neither do you want someone who's afraid. And Samuel was both. He was both apprehensive about going to Eli and telling him what the Lord had delivered to him. At the same time, when the time was right, he gave the message to Eli. Listen, y'all, both of those parts are true. And your shepherds, right, your elders and your pastors, we don't delight in sharing and challenging you. That's, that's not a delight of our hearts, but neither is it something that we want to shy away from when, when it's needed. And that's the sign of a faithful shepherd. That's the sign of, of a shepherd that's, that wants God's Word to come to bear in your life in a way that's encouraging and good to build you up. 
I would just say at this point, kind of in closing, to think about the way that Christ came and ministered the Word to us. Right? At any point along the way, here is the Word of God incarnate. He could have crushed anybody with the truth of God's Word. He could have spoken that truth that they just needed to hear into their lives at any point along the way. And yet, what did He do? Many times He loved them. Many times He showed Himself to them. He encouraged them. He brought them along. He taught them. He was gentle with them in their moments of great crisis. And then in their moments of great uppityness, right, He challenged them. He called them out. He said, you're whitewashed tombs. You need to be as concerned about the inside as you are the outside. And so when they needed to be challenged, He challenged. When they needed to be loved, He loved and He walked with them. And I would just say as we come this morning to the supper, right, which is the picture for us of the, of, of the Word made flesh, in the supper we have the identical encouragement. We had the reminder that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. The moment of our greatest need. And we had the moment, we had the reminder at the same time that we were so desperately sinful that Christ had to die for us. You see? You see how even in the Lord's Supper, you and I have, hopefully, that targeted need. Are you here this morning? You're feeling empowered. You've had a a great week. You've walked the walk. You've talked the talk. You had your quiet time, not once a day, but twice a day. And so you've shown up this morning, and you're here, and you're ready to take the Lord's Supper. Because you've got it rolling. The Lord's Supper is a reminder. While we were yet sinners, Christ had to die for us. Maybe you're here this morning, and it's been a long week. It's been a hard week. Maybe, maybe you've been down. Maybe you feel beat up. Maybe you feel like you can't do anything right. And the supper comes. And in the supper, the Lord Jesus says to us, I loved you enough to die for you, to make you whole, and to bring you to the Father. That's God's word to us. Let me pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that at just the right time it comes. Perhaps it's a dark moment. Perhaps we're feeling emboldened. But your word always comes and builds us up in just the right way. And so we thank you. And we thank you this morning for the supper. We thank you that Christ died for us. And that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.